Hello and welcome once again to Cloudy with a Chance of Rain, the podcast where we bring the cloud down to earth by talking with some of the top minds in the industry. I'm Alex Sage. And I'm Alistair Hodge. We work as consultants for Cloudsoft, helping customers get the most out of cloud. Our guest today is James Mitchell, Chief Exec and Founder of Strategic Blue, who have quite a unique approach to optimizing cloud financial operations. Hi, James. Hi, guys. How are you doing? We're doing wonderful. Very good, thanks. Hey, James, uh, why don't you kick off by telling us a bit about yourself and your journey towards founding Strategic Blue? Great. Well, uh, I'm, a, I'm a scientist by background. Um, I studied natural sciences at, at Cambridge and then ran out of pubs and so went to Oxford for my PhD, whereas I was the, I was the first biological physics PhD student in the Oxford physics department. Um, I, have a, I have a doctorate in DNA nanostructures. That was a, a natural segue into going on to structural weather derivatives for Rabobank, which is a Dutch investment bank that focuses on uh, on agricultural customers. Um, I then moved on to Morgan Stanley, where uh, I got into electricity trading. Um, basically, I spent a, an awful lot of time, including at the weekends, would you believe, buying up wind power in Denmark, shipping it down into Germany, across into France, converting it to DC, bringing it under the uh, under the English Channel into the UK in order to turn off, um, you know, kind of emitting and very expensive um, diesel generation power plants. Um, kind of decided that I, uh, you know, wanted to focus on kind of you know, climate change and green angles, and so got Morgan Stanley to invest in a uh, in a, a tidal current energy generation company called Atlantis. Um, so I'm I'm quite proud of uh, kind of building up a project that has put tidal current turbines in Scotland underwater. You can't see them from Prince Charles's Castle of May, and they're generating green electricity for uh, for Scottish homes. Um, and it was actually that project that got me into data centres, um, found out about how inefficient data centres are in terms of you know, their, their, their power usage, um, albeit it's still a heck of a lot better for the environment than having servers under your desk or even in a in a small server room um and you know we had this idea of uh, putting a data center up on the far north coast of scotland where it's nice and cool and powering it from these tidal turbines that would generate electricity when the when the tide is flowing and then you know pull um you know wind power off the grid when um when the tides weren't flowing and you know, basically use that to jump what would have been a 15-year queue to connect this you know, new form of power generation to to the to the to the, to the national grid. Wow! Um, wow! When I asked about a journey, I wasn't expecting that. That is a journey. Um, th- all those those green developments, those those forays into renewable energy at the intersection of you know other other cool tech. What a great! Oh, I almost used the word synergy, but but what a great! Um, combination what a great collision of of wonderful ideas amazing well i mean it was it was just really cool i mean coming from coming from a research background where you used to trying to do new things and then i must admit you know back in its back in its heyday morgan stanley was just an absolutely amazing place to try to do the most off the wall stuff um and you know they they were you know they were genuinely interested in you know doing things that were Good for the environment, so long as you know you could also sell a, a very strong money-making story associated with it. Um, 
And so, you know, once we had that that project, uh, you know, the tidal current project up and running in the far north of Scotland, I basically, you know, went back to Morgan Stanley and said, you know, kind of, I want my old job back, but I don't want to turn up on the trading floor at 7 a.m. Um, you know, I want to think about what you might like to trade next and came up with the, well, basically found out about, um, about you know, cloud, found out about AWS and came up with the idea that this ought to be tradable as though it was a commodity. Um, and that was way back in 2010. And, you know, 10 years later, we're absolutely doing that. We do trade tech cloud like a commodity. We do that on more than one cloud vendor. Um, you know, we're in the billing chain for customers in the UK and the US. And our outlook on life is very, very different from any other reseller. We're very focused on the financial side. And, you know, we allow customers to get a better price than you can even get direct from AWS. That is a brilliant thing to be delivering to those customers. Um, I think it's worth drawing out, though, that I remember conversations 10 years ago where people were talking about cloud as a commodity, as though I could buy from Azure or AWS and I could move around whoever I was buying from. And there was analogies to... Uh, trading coal, where coal mined from different mines is different, and yet we can still standardize upon this. And uh, frankly, to my mind, nothing good came out of that because the difficulties of moving a workload from one cloud to another uh, are pretty big for most people. Like There's some very good reasons for very large banks uh, to be able to do that, uh, particularly for banks who are too big to fail. Uh, but it's, they're not doing it just because they want to trade commodities. Uh, but I think what you're talking about there of what do we learn from trading derivatives, electricity, and a bunch of other stuff, and how do we apply these to uh, people who are wanting to make more efficient use of cloud, that you've done a lot of interesting things in that space. Uh, is that fair? Uh, yes and no. So this this is a wonderful rabbit hole and we, we can choose how deep we want to go down it. But the analogy with coal, um, people who understand a lot about cloud, which you guys obviously do, um, assume that things like coal are relatively simple. And you've made the sweeping assumption that a coal-fired power station can just change the type of coal that it uses on a whim. And the thing is, you can't. So, you know, kind of in the same way as, you know, if you try to put, I mean, there's probably a lot of people right now considering putting diesel into their petrol cars, for example, uh, or vice versa, <laughs> just to get, you know, some hydrocarbons in there. But, you know, that is not a good idea. And actually, the same is true with coal-fired power stations. If you want to change from coal that comes from one mine to another mine, you literally get a sample and you try it out and, and you see how it performs, you almost certainly have to blend it with some other coals to try to get the mixture of energy content, ash content, moisture content, sulfur content, to get all of that blend right. It is, it is not a trivial exercise to move from one coal vendor to another unless you've literally built your power plant to be able to cope with that. And the same is absolutely true for IT applications in the cloud. You know, it is a lovely idea to be able to switch between cloud vendors. But, you know, if you've got a, you know, a heck of a lot of data, then, you know, even if technically you can do it, the cost of moving the data, you know, even if you're going to use like you know, a snowball or a snowmobile where you're basically posting the data or shipping it on, a, on the back of a lorry, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of friction 
to to doing that. And these analogies exist really, really well in the other commodities markets. The, the analogy doesn't break down. You just need to know enough about the, the markets that you're comparing it with. And that's really the reason why I say trade something like it's a commodity, which is very different from it is a commodity. The only real commodities are currencies because you know they're, they're not real things. You know, it is a um, you, know, you when you say you trade oil, for example, you might trade Brent crude. Brent crude doesn't come out of the ground anymore. You know, the, the oil that comes comes out of oil wells is so far off spec, it's just not funny. And what you trade is this this idealized benchmark, and then you know, people at you know the technical end of this, and obviously technical for oil is very difficult, different to technical for cloud. But there's technical people who deal with the fact that it is off spec. Oh, my brain just got a bit bigger there. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was a fascinating uh, diversion there. Um, so let's come back to the the cloud side of things, and particularly what Strategic Blue are offering. Uh, before we do that, it's probably worth just a, a quick skin set to make sure all the audience are on the same page around uh, what we talk about with. Uh, cloud finances. So we can talk about optimizing usage, which is uh, basically trying to, say, turn things off, improve the efficiency of your applications, so decrease the amount you're using, or start using something that's going to be like uh, a more efficient style of application. And the other area we talk about is optimizing rates. So that's where we might look at uh, some of the financing schemes that be it cloud providers or Strategic Blue offer, and by committing to particular usage, uh, we can get a discount. So whether that's committing to using a particular type of resource for a year or six year or th- or three years, then we get that uh, discount. Or we might, uh, with AWS savings plans, commit to uh, a particular cost of compute usage, whatever that kind of usage is. So it's a much more flexible commit. Uh, and again, they give us a discount for this. So with that sort of scene setting, uh, can you tell us more about uh, what Strategic Blue are offering in, to your customers uh, that's kind of different from what the cloud providers do? Sure. So we we tend to work hand in glove with the... Uh, let's focus on AWS so that you know, we, we stick with one set of terminology. It gets very, very confusing if you keep jumping between them. Um, so we we work hand in glove with the with the AWS account managers. We generally let them evangelize all of the new services, etc. And we we focus on helping the customer with the with the cost optimization and the billing and all of those aspects. And a key thing that we we don't do as a company is we never put hands on keyboards. So you know. A customer, a customer might, you know, ask us to give them a, a free FinOps review, you know, financial operations review, and we will look at what they're using. We will, you know, um, you know, make some recommendations around. You know, you might want to look at right size in those instances. Are you sure that you're using all of that in the right way? There's all of these technical recommendations that you know we we might make for a customer. We won't offer to do that for them. We we either assume that the customer is self-sufficient on technical resource, or we introduce them to other partners that focus on the professional services of helping the customer actually make changes in the cloud. But we will make recommendations that are very cost-focused, um, that are delivered by you know professional-level AWS solutions architects um, around around the usage. Um, what we then move on to is um, once we've got 
a decision from the customer as to whether they're going to change something or leave it as is, we, we try to look for savings that can be made as a result of making financial commitments. And so we help the customer or encourage the customer to forecast their future usage. And here's the thing. Life just isn't as simple as, oh, this is going to run for a year, this is going to run for three years, and everything else we need to be able to turn off within the hour. It, ju it just doesn't drop out like that. Um, and so we encourage the customers to think beyond the highly standardized way that AWS offers the, the commitments that they, they need to do because they're trying to offer a scalable utility service at a low cost. And we get them to show us their forecasts and we will give the customer a commitment and a discount for that commitment for a forecast that might be three months, might be six months, might be nine months. Obviously, we'll match the 12 months, 18 months, two years. And you know, we will offer those prices at a price that is guaranteed to be better than the AWS price. And where you can't find a like-for-like -like AWS price, you basically interpolate between a longer commitment and a shorter commitment and, you know, there's, a, there's basically a price guarantee that shows the customer will, will always be better off coming from us. And what we're trying to achieve there is give the customer as much financial certainty as we're able to, because, you know, frankly, their CFO has been completely freaked out by moving from on-premise where they know exactly what they're going to spend on cloud is what they signed off on for the CapEx for the servers to a world where the bill goes up and down. It is, you know, they're given transparency over what they're spending, but it's like drinking from a fire hose. We also have services that help provide you know, clarity around what they're using, you know, combination of, of you know, self-service dashboards and people-powered FinOps where they can actually call us up and say, my bill's gone up by 10%. Can you help me work out why? It's just not obvious. Um, you know, if it's not obvious from the dashboards, um, you know, we have people who will go and work out what it is that has happened. And yeah, you know, we we have a really close relationship with our customers. And then lastly, yeah, you know, we do something that you know isn't available through a self-service portal, which is you know, based upon our understanding of the customers, you know, forecast plans, you know, what I like to call their their hopes and dreams for their cloud infrastructure, where we're aware of um discount programs, credits programs that are available from the cloud vendors, we'll liaise with the account manager and help everyone make the case to be able to get those you know, migration credits for argument's sake or research credits, depending you know, if, if it's an education customer. Um, and we try to stay on top of all of those programs and coordinate everything in order to get the financial approvals, whether that's on the customer side or whether that's on the AWS side. And it's really a, a joined-up service that we don't charge for. Wow, that's, um, that's a lot of stuff you do. I mean, I kind of knew, I kind of known that you you stepped in almost as a middleman to kind of not arbitrate, but to to bridge that gap between committed use discounts that the cloud provider offers and what the customer actually needs. Um, but it sounds like you really offer a lot of flexibility in how you deliver on that. That's that's a lot more nuanced than I than I had appreciated before. Now, yeah, the the, the word middleman is an interesting one. There's two types of middlemen. There's the types that you want to take out because you add no value and the type that you want to put in because they add a heck of a lot of value. And we're, we're very much of the, of the latter school. So um, you know, a, a question that we routinely get asked and we're more than happy to answer is, 
if we are guaranteeing that the price is better than you can get direct from AWS and we don't charge for the service, how do we actually make money? And the answer to that is we make it in two ways. The first is the same way that you know any AWS reseller is able to make money. You know, we you know, are incentivized by the cloud vendors to answer all of the billing questions by being in the billing chain and help with cost optimization. And you know, we, we access those same discount programs as any other reseller is, is able to get. Um, where we're able to go above and beyond that and you know allows us to share some of those straightforward savings with customers and you know sometimes do more than that is we will generally make longer term commitments and greater levels of commitments to the cloud vendors than the customers will you know in particular if we've got a customer that is committed to us for 6 months we've we've basically got a choice you know we've given them financial certainty we've taken on an uncertain financial position and we can either buy from AWS you know, hourly on demand and lock in a guaranteed loss, or we can buy one year or three year fixed price at a, at a lower price. If we do one year, then depending upon what happens with that customer, or if we have, have multiple customers in a portfolio all under the same master payer account, then that's obviously less risky. And so we're able to be you know, more aggressive on the price under those circumstances. Um, and give greater savings to the customer. Um, and yeah, we might make money out of that or we might lose money out of that. Obviously, when we're looking at the probabilities relating to how we've sold to the customer and how we're buying from the vendor, you know, our expectation on any given deal is that we will make money. Um, there is a probability that we will make more than that. We might make a lot of money out of it. But on almost all of our deals, there's also a probability that we will lose money off that. And we find in talking to other resellers, and you know, we're very friendly with, 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 with other resellers, we find that that is not the approach that they take. And the idea that they might lose money on any given transaction with any customer, let alone you know, with a customer overall, is, is not okay for them. But for us, because we, you know, we're entirely funded by, you know, um, by people with a, with a trading background, we're totally fine with that. And you know, when when you do enough of that and you know, we're servicing more than enough customers to have a portfolio, we we've never lost money in any given month as a result of doing that, despite losing money on individual deals. And that ability and willingness to take risk is where our margin comes from. And you know, that margin is the source of the additional savings that we provide to customers large and small. And we're able to do this at scales of customers spending a couple of thousand dollars a month up to customers spending north of a million a month. What a That's fascinating it. perspective. That's incredible. Yeah, um, I love that attitude towards the, the risk and uh, what you can deliver to your customers. We've come across too many resellers who view it as just a way for them to access that uh, funding from the cloud vendors and not to pass it on to the customers yeah, uh, I'm, so, I'm yes, really not here. okay with it. I'm, I'm so not okay with that approach. So it always starts with the customer. You start with the customer, you're getting their forecast, and you're giving them a discount for whatever they feel comfortable committing to. So you know, the problem with pushing a customer to overcommit is that it looks great in month one, month two. Yeah, great, the customer's saving money. Fabulous. You then get to months nine, 10, 11, 12, 
and then they start making losses, and that then pushes them off. You know, if if, if you know, it is much you know, the, the further out you go, the harder it is to you know be sure of your forecast. And the customers are always conservative, and even when we're offering these these tailored commitments, we just can't get customers to commit to as much as they should do. We just can't, and so we make up for that by giving them a, an an extra saving. And yeah, you know, we basically take on that uncertain position position ourselves. Um, the value that we bring to AWS is that we help these customers pay the right price for cloud for what they're currently consuming. And so when the CTO who's got this POC goes to the CFO and says, hey, I'd like to do this at 10 times the scale, they've already demonstrated to the CFO that, you know, they are responsible cloud users. They haven't left it all running on demand. They haven't bought flexibility that they haven't needed. And it's not more expensive than running it on-premise. On and any CFO will let a CTO do a small POC. You know, that's why most companies have got some kind of trial that they've done with AWS. If you want them to be allowed to scale that up, the CFO or whoever holds the budget has got to be super confident that the tech team can be trusted to turn stuff off, can be trusted to, to make the commitments, and yeah, not just to make it look good right at the very beginning. I mean, the, the best way to get a saving next month is just to buy the entire lot on, on, on a three-year reserved instance. <laughs> but you know, what what you know, that is a very risky thing to do because you know what's going to happen in three years' time. You know, if you've committed to something that is really, really specific, the technology is changing rapidly and the tech teams, you know, they're, they're measured by making the tech work. And you know they they want and value that flexibility, and so getting that balance, yeah, you know, it frankly takes some training, and we we basically provide that training for free. Yeah, and I guess the economics of that are really interesting in terms of you don't need to actually run that instance for three years to make it worth buying a three-year reserved instance. That additional percentage saving, even if you turned it off after two and a half years, you've still made more money than any other option. Unless, of yes. course, you go to a strategic balloon by two and a half year commitment. Uh, but yeah, we've come across so many customers who uh, either they're just not willing to commit because they're not quite sure, or they've got aspirations to re-architect their system. And a year later, they haven't done it. But that aspiration meant they didn't buy the reserved instance in the first place. So the idea of being able to go and buy one for three months, after three months, realize actually we're still in the same position we were at the beginning, let's renew for another three months, is fantastic and uh yeah helping the the finance teams and the engineering teams to see these other options uh and to think about that financing really really useful we we, we, we have customers that for five years they've never committed for more than six months at a time i, I think i think occasionally they've committed to some for like a year at a time but they they just are unable to forecast beyond six months because you know frankly they were you know they were a startup and they just kept on being acquired and they got a bigger and bigger company and there was always something that might be happening in the next six months that blocked them from committing and so through us they have managed to get a saving AWS has managed to get you know, commitments there and the price that they've been paying has been a sensible one. Yeah, great stuff. So. Coming coming down to specifics, I think you you mentioned uh, as you went through that very detailed response, you mentioned a few of the techniques, this this 
the tactical techniques that you will occasionally employ with your customers to help them optimize costs. Um, we'll probably talk about FinOps uh, subsequent to this, but you know, still thinking about tactics and, and techniques. So what is your toolbox of cloud op- cost optimization? Um, what's your trick bag there? What, what yeah, your so... Tips? Well, so first and foremost, if you've not got your cost and usage report enabled, please do enable that because if you've not got the historical data, it's really hard to make data-driven decisions. So step one, do that. If we work on the assumption that that's been done and you've got some data, um, you know, there's there's all sorts of insights that can be gained simply from you know the, the curve files that sit in sit in your S3 bucket. Um, there's all sorts of tools, whether from AWS or third-party vendors, or we can do this for customers for free, that basically analyze that and look at the various costs. And you know, there's, there's a bunch of recommendations that generally come out of doing, doing that. Um, the single biggest saving that you can make is turning off stuff that you don't need. And that sounds like a really obvious thing to say, and it really is an obvious thing to say, but you'd be amazed at how many people don't do that. And so there's, there's a whole lot of recommendations around storage and you know, um, kind of you know, removing storage volumes that you don't need anymore, um, you know, kind of like having um, you know, a, a technical solutions architect look through all of that and you know, look at the way that things, that things have been done, not least because best practices have changed a lot over time. And so, you know, you might have just used a legacy best practice and there's a better way of doing it these days, often an automated way of doing things that will result in dramatically lower storage costs. And then, you know, we generally find that for almost every customer, the EC2 costs and specifically the EC2 instance usage costs is is the biggest single line item. Do you actually know what those servers are being used for? And are there any that can be turned off? And you know, we we had a customer that you know had one of these long you know long discussions with us, and their main comeback was, "Oh my God, we've no idea what these things are being used for. Please bear with us. We need to go and do an internal exercise and go and actually find out." And they knocked three hundred thousand dollars a month off their bill. Wow! Um, <laughs> wow! Three hundred k here. 300k there pretty soon yeah. you're serious money right <laughs> what, what, once they finished doing that they came back to us and said like great okay bit embarrassing we've sorted that out now <laughs> now we're now we're ready <laughs> and nice. then and then we started looking at yeah the stuff that actually is is in use is you know could be committed to maybe not yeah you know, well certainly not for three years in the case of that particular customer some of it, some of it for a year and then other stuff they wanted to change it from being a small number of big boxes to a large number of small boxes. Um, do the auto scaling properly so that you're using the cloud as cloud rather than just treating it like a data center, uh, which is not the efficient way of doing doing things. And um, planning what they were going to change when. And for the stuff that was, you know, I think at that point it was like more than six months out. Commit for six months and actually have a schedule of what is the plan? What are you going to change when? You, you've got a limited number of technical people that you know, are frankly qualified to make these changes. Don't assume you're going to be able to do all of it overnight because you know, it's complicated. There is a reason why we have all these amazing technical people that know how to do this stuff. You know, I've got my cloud practitioner. That doesn't make me one of them. 
Um, yeah, that's some great tips there. Um, it's some of the things you were saying there remind me a lot of the FinOps conversations that uh, we've had on this podcast, actually. Uh, I, a few months back, we talked to Ashley Romatko at Pearson about uh, getting started with FinOps. So FinOps is a, a new term for cloud financial management. And importantly, it's getting the IT and finance teams to actually work together uh, to communicate, to get the most business value from the cloud, which doesn't always mean decreasing costs. It's about uh, whatever's giving that business value. Uh, so yeah, some of the things you were saying there really resonated for uh, the people who were paying that bill didn't have a clue what it was for, really, and 300,000 of wasted usage. Uh, and a lot of that is a cultural issue in some ways of uh, do the IT teams who are spending the money know how much is being spent, how is that being tracked, how is it being reported, how do you make sure that things are terminated when a project is cancelled or whatever else. Um, so I know that uh, Strategic Blue are also FinOps partners in the FinOps Foundation. So what drove that decision for you to join the foundation and where do you see FinOps fitting in uh, with your organization and your work? Oh, I mean, yeah, when we when we found out about the FinOps Foundation, it was it was with a sense of relief because it it had felt for many years like we were kind of like out there in the wilderness without a natural home. And all of a sudden, yeah, there's a there's actually a, a term and a foundation focused on 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 what we do as a company. So yeah, we've we've signed up. A bunch of our people have you know gone and taken the certifications. Uh, I believe that we're now a, um, a FinOps uh, training provider with the foundation. Um, yeah, we're 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 very very supportive of this because um, it's not possible to deliver all of these things entirely as a service. You have to have someone on the customer side who is you know acting as the customer. You know, there are certain decisions that need to be made, and someone on the customer side needs to know what is going on with the business, knowing knowing which projects are scaling up, which ones are scaling down. Um, you know whether there is an appetite for making making prepayments because you can make some quite substantial further savings above and beyond commitment if if you prepay. Um, you can over egg that as well. Um, so you know it, you know having someone who could go and ask the CFO what is our internal cost of capital, and then choosing how to do the amount of the prepayment in order to you know have that make financial sense to the CFO. Um, yeah, there has to be someone on on that side, and you know, really, for any organisation that is serious about cloud, they should have a cloud centre of excellence. There should be a a cloud business offices, and there and there should be someone in there whose job it is to worry about the the finances and signing up with the FinOps Foundation and getting some of these, you know, at least the lower level certifications is is absolutely worthwhile and is also going to be you know, very good for them career-wise. And so it should be part of their personal development plan. Excellent. Excellent. I totally agree that uh, many of the challenges around, you know, cloud adoption and many of the, pro the challenges that FinOps seeks to address, they're cultural. As technologists, we think all the problems in the world can be solved with technology, but you can't solve culture with technology and I think addressing those problems in tandem with the technology problems I think is a very valuable set of um, it's a valuable perspective to have on certain enterprise dysfunctions and a great way to to address tackling them 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it really is vitally important that the finance community basically catch up with the tech community in, in terms of the power of cloud. I mean, you know, I can remember when I started doing this 10 years ago, I, I used to go out to Silicon Valley, um, you know, every every couple of months, spend a couple of weeks out there and then come back to the UK. And, you know, I would be explaining to CTOs in the UK what, what cloud is. Now, that is absolutely not necessary anymore. They, they, they definitely know and they're definitely using it. You know, that is that is great. I do still find myself explaining it to, to CFOs, though. Um, and, you know, what is interesting is there are organizations where the recommendations that you make to those organizations is totally different depending upon the level of profitability that they have. There are some, some customers that we have that are so profitable that they absolutely do not want to do any cost optimization of any kind whatsoever if it slows down the developers by even half an hour. It is just not worth it. And the thing is, that is an entirely rational decision. Absolutely. And then there's obviously the other extreme where um, you know, the, the cloud cost is everything. If they don't get that cloud cost absolutely right, they will go from being a profitable company to a loss-making company. And you know, having someone spend an extra five hours you know, kind of you know, going, through, um, going through the storage stuff manually and working out what should be there and what isn't, for those customers, that will be a rational thing to do. And then, of course, you've got the, the entire spectrum in between and trying to work that, as you say, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a cultural decision, but also an understanding decision. And you know, if we want cloud to really fulfill on its potential, we need to get the finance community on board with all of this, understanding the flexibility and the power that cloud gives for allowing us to be to be, to be nimble and be able to respond to the sudden changes that, I mean, has anyone noticed that the world is so much less predictable recently? <laughs> you know, climate change, pandemics. I mean, uh, who honestly wants to be, you know, committing to, to, a, to a new data center for, you know, 10 years for the data center, three years for all of the, all of the kits? Who's able, who's able to forecast that? Yeah, paying for some flexibility is absolutely worth it. And helping the CFO community to understand that is utterly vital. And we see the FinOps Foundation as being a, a key tool to enable that. Yeah. And of course, um, those trade-offs that you talked about, uh, it's not always the case that across the entire organization, it's the same trade-offs. So, <laughs> yeah, when you're saying uh, we must not uh, stifle the productivity of those engineers at the expect, uh, when trying to reduce costs or whatever, like there's a great description from... Facebook and how they approach different projects uh, and these projects go through phases so at the start you're trying to innovate you're trying to uh, kind of test out to see whether these features are going to be successful you then get to a scaling point and you really do not care about cost at this point you care about making sure that 100 million users or how many it is are going to have successful experience with that and then you've got to some stability point where if you optimize very very slightly you save millions uh, and uh, you don't want to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. So, yeah, in those first two phases, absolutely is about making sure that we can innovate fast, scale, and not break the thing. And then afterwards, it's then about optimizing. Uh, so, yeah, with, within a given team, they're potentially dealing with uh, these different approaches and trade-offs uh, at different times. 
Yeah, and there's a there's almost like a third variation of that where you've got the technical team and they know the demands on the system, but where you've got an end customer, so say it's a software as a service platform that is you know, basically selling software as a service and buying AWS. Depending upon the the way that the deal is constructed between that company and their customer, that actually impacts how you should be managing capacity within the cloud. So we've got a case of this at the moment where the the end customer knows that the the demand that their user base is going to have on this software as a service platform is highly, highly unstable. It, It could suddenly absolutely rocket and even though the capacity is so low, you know, the, sort of the, the amount of usage of that problem is so low at the moment, they absolutely want to just leave it as it is. We don't want you to re-architect it at all at the moment because of that uncertainty. And on the technical side, if they're not privy to those conversations, they will want to technically optimize it. I mean, the, the particular case I'm thinking of, the customer is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on AWS. And you know, there's a way of re-architecting it that drops it by a factor of five. But the end customer doesn't want a change to be made because of that. But you know, how are the techies to know that if someone isn't interfacing between the business and the finance side and the and and the technical team? You know, building those bridges and having that communication is absolutely key. Yes, totally agree. Totally agree. Everyone loves to hear. Uh... Horror stories, tales from the trenches, uh, and we we've often come across customers who have who've tried to do cloud optimization, or they've tried to do cloud, and something's gone a bit wrong, something's gone awry, in an expensive way, which we sometimes call finoops rather than finops. Uh, have you got any finoops stories you'd like to share? Obviously, with customers uh, suitably anonymized to protect the innocent. I'm actually thinking of quite a nice one from recently that um, an AWS account manager brought us and they said there's, they've got this really lovely customer. Um, you know, they're, they're spending tens of thousands of dollars a month. Um, you know, they're doing something really worthwhile, but they've been impacted really badly by the pandemic. And funnily enough, the amount that they're using now isn't what they were forecasting before the pandemic. And you know, they've they, they, they done all of the right things. They bought reserved instances, um, you know, they they you know they were saving money at the beginning. Then the pandemic hit, and you know they were you know their cloud was looking really expensive, and that was causing them causing them serious problems. Now they brought them to us because you know we're obviously cost optimization experts. You know, is there something that we can do with that? Now we kind of looked at it, and we ended up taking them on as a customer, and we basically used the discounts that we get from AWS in order to. Frankly, cover the losses. We 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 took on the um, you know the remaining terms of their reserved instances. We removed the wastage so that the customer isn't being billed for the wastage anymore. Um, you know they they were put off at that point from making further commitments because they were yeah you know, they had commitments that they didn't need, but they also had persistent uses elsewhere where they did need to make commitments. But because one had gone wrong, they were put off from doing the other one. And so we basically put our arms around all of it. We we basically took over their losses. And so, you know, for the first, oh, I can't remember, but I think for the first six months of the deal, you know, our margin is going to be like, it's not loss making, but it's like down like one or 2% kind of thing. And most resellers don't want that kind of business, but, 
you know, we're helping out the customer. AWS provided us with a lead. There was no, there was no cost of sale or anything. And you know, at, you know, at its heart, this is a perfectly good customer. And you know, we will make some profit out of them, you know, in a while. And in the meantime, we're helping them out. And so, you know, we've now got, got them all sorted out. Um, you know, we know that our margin is going to be horribly low for you know the foreseeable several months. You know, we've explained to our CFO that's okay. <laughs> Um, and you know they're, they're going to get sorted out. And you know, to be honest, we you know this came up in a recent board meeting, um, and I explained the situation. I said, "Is it okay if we do more of these?" And chairman of the board said, "Fill your boots." Great story and a great bit of relationship building as well. Nice one. I'm quite surprised how how the time has flown. It's probably time to start wrapping up. But before we before we sign off, James, uh, how can our listeners reach you? Um, understand you have your own podcast so how do our listeners find you and find out more of these interesting topics interesting thoughts that you're happy to share that is an excellent question and i should have prepared for that uh, our, web, <laughs> our website is uh, strategic-blue.com uh, but find us on linkedin and yeah please do just reach out to anyone who works at strategic blue yeah you, you can reach out to me on linkedin if you want to um, and yeah, just ask for a free FinOps review. It, it won't cost you a penny. And the podcast, James? And the podcast is called What's New in FinOps. Um, you can find links to it on our on our website. Uh, we, uh, we, we, we post on LinkedIn and Twitter every time there's a new episode. Uh, you should be able to find it pretty easily. Superb. Well, obviously, we'll, we'll put links to the above uh, in our show notes. Uh, and I think all that remains for me to do is to thank you very much for joining us on today's episode, James. Excellent. Thank you. We will have to get you guys onto uh, onto our podcast as a uh, reciprocal visit. That sounds like fun. We'd love to. Love to. Great. So that's that's all we have time for today. But uh, thanks thanks again to James. I hope you've uh, enjoyed this episode. And don't forget to, to uh, tune in to our next episode when we'll be talking about more cloudy with a chance of bringing topics. Thanks very much. <laughs>